the quantified body. New technologies are bringing us more and better data on our bodies every day. This data promises to help us make better decisions for better health, higher performance, less disease, and greater longevity. In the quantified body, we explore this promise to find out where it is creating real-world results, improving bodies, and improving lives. Hey, welcome to another episode of The Quantified Body. This is episode 42. That's quite a few episodes behind us, and I'd just like to thank you guys for joining me on this journey. Uh, Thank you for all of the emails you send me. I know I don't manage to reply to all of them, but I do, in fact, read all of them, and I really appreciate all the support you guys give me. Just wanted to say that before we jump into this shorter-than-usual episode, which is a self-experiment episode. This is a quick look at a 10-day water fast that I did and the results I got from it. And this was done in January 2016 for you guys in 2017 listening to this show. So this was longer than the previous fast I've done, which have been five days. I did the five-day water fast and the fast mimicking diet, which was five days also. So this one is longer. It's twice the length. It's 10 days, which seems psychologically really difficult. And I have to admit that I was really anxious about whether I would complete it or not. I didn't go in saying I'm definitely going to complete this. I kind of gave myself an out. And but as I went into it, it did get easier. And I wasn't thinking about quitting at all. In fact, but I remember at the beginning, it wasn't a given that I was going to go the whole route. So in this fast, uh, the couple of things that are interesting is that it's twice the length. It's 10 days. And I wanted to see what that would do and how challenging it was and what the experience would be like. And the other thing is that I tracked a bunch of biomarkers and I was exploring some other aspects, particularly hormones and cognitive performance are the new things. I also looked at weight, glucose and ketones. As usual, of course, the blog post has all of the tracking details, the charts and all of the information, the the lab tests I did and the biomarkers and uh, the exact protocol I followed for this fast. I'm going to give you a quick heads up of what we're going to cover in this episode. The first is a quick reminder of why we do fasts, why I think they're really interesting. They're really a high return on low effort tool. It's my favorite tool, I must say, uh, at the moment that I found so far from doing this show. I would say it's the least effort, highest return tool that I found so far and that's really my goal to find things that we can easily do which will make a big impact to our lives. I'm going to walk you through the results from the tests and more to the point the actual insights that I pulled from them. Some interesting stuff on adrenal fatigue and the cortisol metabolism um, that we discussed on a previous podcast where I was concerned that potentially fasting isn't a great idea if you have some form of adrenal fatigue, which I have been basically put into that bucket because I have low free cortisol. So we'll dig into that. And also looking at the 10-day fast experience, and in particular, looking at my post-fast rookie mistake. You know, I really kind of messed up post-fast this time, and I'll give you the gory details of that so you can avoid doing something pretty silly given the number of people I've spoken to about having negative symptoms. I seem to think I was invincible and I wasn't going to get those, but you certainly do if you don't do the right things. 
also talk about a couple of the tests I did, which are new tests and are pretty interesting tests, which I'll be using going forward more. So to check all the details from this episode out, go to thequantifiedbody.net. It's a long post and you might want to skip around on that too. So the question I was asking when I went into this to myself was, will I benefit from a 10-day fast programmed into my life once per quarter or twice per year? I'm currently doing cycles of five-day fasts once per month. I wanted to know if every three months I should swap that out for a 10-day fast and if that's going to be beneficial to me. Now, the two questions within this question that I was interested in are going back to if you've heard the episodes with uh, the other fasts, you'll know that I'm interested in will I be productive during this time? Now, 10-day fast is 10 days is, is quite a chunk of time to take out of a month, right? That's a third of a month. If I wasn't productive for that whole time, and I was doing this four times a year, that would be 40 unproductive days a year. And that's like a pretty big deal. So that's not something that I'd call high return for low effort if that was the case. So I definitely wanted to know that I was going to be productive during a 10-day fast. So a few of the things and the questions I was looking at was, would my mental performance suffer? Perhaps leading subtly to worse decisions or perhaps just slower thinking and, you know, just doing things slower. I wanted to look at my energy levels. Are they the same? Are they going to decrease or would there be a change in how many hours I could comfortably work per day? So I'd actually effectively be working less hours and, you know, less output. Thus, how about concentration, focus and drive? I know this is kind of my normal state of being and it's pretty important to getting some of the stuff and the hustling that I do. Uh, so, you know, I hope if that isn't present for, you know, because you're in this different state of fasting, would that have an effect also? So that's the productivity area I was looking at. And I've got a few tests lined up to try and figure that out. And then the other area was, is 10-day fasting every quarter sustainable? So specifically, where I'm doing monthly cycles of five-day fasts in between, is it sustainable? Like, So the first thing is, I'll probably double my weight loss, right? Uh, doing a 10-day fast versus a 5-day fast, will I be able to make that back up, regain that, if I'm doing these cyclically every month? Because I don't want to be continuously, slowly declining in my weight. I want to maintain my weight. That That's my personal goal. This is also more a ease and comfort and psychologically fulfilling point. Would I enjoy it? Would it be a good experience? Because nothing we hate is going to get done repeatedly. So I wanted to know that, you know, this wasn't like five times worse than a five-day five day water fast, which I find quite pleasurable. So I wanted to know that that was the case. And I also wanted to see if there was any downside impact on adrenal health or cortisol regulation from fasting because it was something I've looked at in the past. And, you know, it's something that we talk about. Stressors aren't going to help a situation of adrenal fatigue. As I have documented low free cortisol levels at the moment and I do sometimes get fatigue in the afternoons not quite so much these days but I still do get it sometimes then you the idea is you shouldn't be adding more stressors and you should be supporting that situation so one of the tests I did actually help to dive into that a lot more and answer that question previously we didn't really get to an answer of that I feel like getting closer to an answer not quite a full answer but definitely I'm a lot less concerned about fasting now uh, with this adrenal fatigue. And we'll get into that because 
I wouldn't really call it a straightforward adrenal fatigue anymore. Um, this test helps to qualify a bit more and show what that's really about. And for anyone who's like had some kind of fatigue in the afternoons, that's typically what adrenal fatigue is. It's con consistent pattern of fatigue in the afternoons. Then this would be an interesting episode because I, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about adrenal fatigue. And it's a very vague term that's used a lot without really any accurate tests um, or very specific diagnosis. It's not like your adrenal... Uh, glands are shown to be shrinking for example we don't have scans showing that your adrenal glands have shrunk and therefore there's less output of cortisol right but we do think about that when we talk about adrenal fatigue so we're going to dive into that today and show that that's not necessarily the case so quickly as a reminder why we do a 10-day fast and again like revising the or revisiting or going back to see the first for the first time the episodes with uh, dr thomas seafried we first talked about it then we had the two self-experiments the five-day water fast and the fast mimicking diet are good places to get up to speed on all of this but quickly the the first point is anti-cancer um, and the idea here is that doing a fast maybe a few times a year will be cancer protective to some extent it will help to ensure that there isn't a large degree of growth of cancer cells in your body. That's the idea behind the metabolic uh, theory of cancer, um, which uh, Dr. Thomas Seafried has pushed forward. And also some other researchers now. There's um, Dominic D'Agostino, who is also researching this area and working on it. Um, so there seems to be more and more support uh, for this area. The other area is immune system effectiveness. So uh, this is going back to the work of Walter Longo, who has looked at cyclic fasting and how it has been shown to regenerate immune system cells. So immune system cells deteriorate naturally as we age. Right? They get less effective. And also due to, say, environmental insults, which could be pathogens or it could be chemicals and toxins or heavy metals, things that disrupt the body. In any case, when you are fasting, you are basically destroying and renewing some of the immune cells and it increases the effectiveness of the immune system. That's the idea there. So in that way, it may be able to stave off some of this natural deterioration and keep us healthier throughout our lives. Another point is a stronger body. So there are other studies have shown that there are lean body mass gains from fasting and fasting cycles in particular. And this can include bone density gains, right? So we all know that as you age, one of the issues is that the bone density decreases and that's not a good thing. I myself tracked in my, la my last episode with the fast, the fast mimicking diet, a gain in lean body mass. So seven days after my fast, I had an increase in lean body mass. I wasn't doing anything specific in terms of trying to gain muscle mass in a gym or anything like that. It was just kind of life as usual. And it was the stimulus of the fast that is behind this lean body mass gain. And it could have been bone density or muscle mass, right? It's indiscriminate in, in the terms of the uh, test that I did, which was the bod pod. Maybe I'll look at more detail of that in future. And finally, and the one you've all been waiting for is body fat removal, right? So a lot of people think of fasting to lose fat and for sure it's a effective tool for that. Me, myself, I am not aiming to do that. I'm quite happy with my weight and I wanna make sure I don't lose. I'm more interested in the losing fat, gaining more lean body mass and kind of getting that stronger body over time, but roughly the same weight. 
Okay, let's dive into the results now. The first part is the ketones and the glucose. Uh, if you guys, it's probably easier to check out the charts to see what's going on here. But if you remember going back to some of the uh, past self-experiments, there's a metabolic switch from glucose metabolism where we have glucose in the range of, say, 80 to 100 milligrams per deciliter. That's kind of where I hover my, my ground is, typically, between, between those two points during the day. And my keto, you know, ketones in a normal state are 0 to 0 0.2. It's really nothing, right? So that's, say, your baseline where you start from. After 48 hours this time, I had the metabolic switch, and it was earlier than usual. And what happens with the metabolic switch is I switched to ketone metabolism. So my glucose dropped down below 60 milligrams per deciliter. So it hovered afterwards between 60 and 50. And my ketones jumped up to between 5 and 6, and then uh, a bit later between 7 and 8 millimolar. So it basically switches. And in what I kind of noticed as I've done more of these fasts, I've done more cycles, is it tends to get sooner. So it, it tends to occur earlier. It seems that the more often I do these fasts, the earlier the metabolic switch comes. And I'm sure there'll be a point where it, it stops to creep uh, forward. But so far, it's kind of creeping forward like five, 10 hours um, each time. So we're now up to 48 hours. I started at free, about three and a half days. It was the first time. So if you're doing your first water, water fast or fast, you, you're probably likely to see that it's going to take, uh, say, three and a half days. And it varies per person based on your metabolic health and so on for that switch. It's debatable whether it's um, it's actually beneficial to be having this switch quickly, but it, it does show that you have metabolic flexibility. So I think that's a good thing. So since I was doing a 10-day water fast this time, my ketones did go higher. So as I said, they went between like days 7 and 9. I actually got some errors on my meter. It's a Freestyle Optium. Um, it's the same as the Precision Extra in the US. And I got some errors, which are, it just has the error HI for high. And that means it went over the actual limit of what it can track, which is 8 millimolar. So at certain, time, certain points, I was actually over 8 millimolar. And that's not really ideal. Uh, Dominic D'Agostino says that over five millimolar, you tend to get in a state of uh, a more acidic state. And it's actually, there's a level of stress behind that. Your body has to deal with that and process that. So once you get over five, it's, it's not actually as easygoing as if you were between three and five. And over 10, you would talk about ketoacidosis, right? So I'm not sure it's a great idea to be going uh, that high. But, you know, obviously in the fastest state, I think this is what happens. So moving on to weight loss. So over the 10 days, I lost a total of 5 kilograms. That's 11 pounds of weight. The weight loss was pretty consistent. However, at between days seven and nine, it stopped and it just plateaued. So I wasn't eating anything, but there was no weight falling off. I was, of course, drinking water. Um, but, you know, that definitely didn't account for it. And then after that plateau, it did drop down again. But it's to say that the weight loss isn't linear. It's not exactly the same as the five-day fast. So I, I think it would kind of like trail off over time and, and become slower. Then uh, what I saw was it was actually really pretty easy to regain that weight. Within 15 days, I had regained all of that weight uh, without trying to eat more or doing anything special. 
Um, so that was um, pretty pretty good. That means that you know I can do this once every quarter. I don't really have to worry about it because 20, 25 days later, I can do another fast and I've re recuperated all of that lost weight. Another interesting aspect was testosterone. So I'll just talk quickly about the test that I did. It's a new lab test, which I learned about through Chris Cresser. He was uh, doing a seminar in London uh, for physicians, which I attended. Uh, it was very interesting. And one of the things he we spent a fair amount of time covering was this new test, which is called the Dutch test. Now, Dutch stands for Dried Urine Test for Comprehensive Hormones. It's a urine test, and you simply uh, carry this out at four points uh, during the day, so you've got coverage of the full day, and you can see the spectrum. And it covers a lot of different hormones. It's really, you know, there's really a lot of information in this test. Chris specifically was talking about this test in, with respect to cortisol metabolism uh, and dysregulation and more to the point, adrenal fatigue. Uh, so that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this test because I wanted to check in on this uh, adrenal fatigue point I've been wondering about. Is fasting bad for my current condition and perhaps others who don't want to exacerbate you know, a slight adrenal fatigue or advanced adrenal fatigue? So it includes an analysis of testosterone levels. And the thing that I saw there is that my testosterone is in the normal range for 20 to 40 year old male. Uh, it's actually looking a little bit lower. If you look on the blog, um, it's lower than I usually have it. It's normally on the higher range for 20 to 40 year old male. And I am 41 years old now, but don't look it. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> so, but the deal is there that you should be, I, I do, and I believe everyone should be aiming for a particular sex hormones and, you know, other areas of performance should be aiming for a 20 to 40 year old male normal range. You shouldn't be aiming for the 40 to 60 year old because the lab reference ranges for the 40 to 60 year old really aren't uh, that good at all. And it's perfectly possible to be within the 20 to 40 year old range and thus feel really good and uh, feel young. When I tracked the baseline with this test, I did two tests. So I did one the week before I started the fast and then I did one on day five of the fast. It may have been more interesting to uh, do day 10. I wanted to see what was going on in the middle of the fast. And I also wanted to stay consistent with the other things I've measured on day five of the fast to get that picture. But in future, I think I'll look at the day 10 as well because I'll be expecting something a bit more extreme. But what you'll see on the chart is that there's actually a pretty significant drop in testosterone. It's dropped by nearly 50%, in fact. So the deal also was that I really saw this in my temperament. My libido for sure was pretty much shot. I had very little interest in women, sex or dating by the end of the week. And I think it was kind of a gradual drop uh, through the week. So here's the takeaway. It's not a good idea to fast on honeymoons or dates. But there is a bonus here because the day after ending the fast, it's actually a great idea because when you refeed, the testosterone bounces back up and it pretty much goes to high levels. So I found a couple of studies uh, which show this where males have fasted and it's very normal for the levels to drop significantly. And then they bounce up on the refeeding. Unfortunately, I didn't track the refeeding, um, but I certainly felt good when I finished the fast. Okay, let's dive into this adrenal fatigue subject. So as I said before, it's a little bit vague adrenal fatigue, right? 
it's not something that we have an accurate look at. We say that we have low free cortisol output and we track that with salivary tests. So you'll have seen me in the previous episodes, I used uh, what's one of the more sensitive tests, which is the BioHealth 201 which is a salivary four-point test throughout the day, measuring your free cortisol levels. And I came back low in that. And I looked at it during fasting, also in, in the previous experiment. However, does that really mean that my adrenals are outputting less cortisol, right? So we kind of imagine a shriveled up adrenal gland, which isn't capable of outputting cortisol anymore because it's so exhausted and tired and it's been pushed to the edge, right? I think this is really how most people look at adrenal fatigue today. And it turns out that that's not really the case. Particularly in my situation, it's a little bit more complex and it can be different things for different people. So how you look at this with this test, the Dutch test, is you get to measure two aspects of cortisol. You get to measure the free cortisol, which is the more bioactive uh, cortisol, which we're actually feeling when we're alert or not. And then you have the metabolized cortisol, which is a good proxy for total cortisol output from the adrenal gland. Now, interestingly, when I tracked my baseline, my total cortisol, the metabolized cortisol, is well within the normal range. It looks perfectly normal. So this says that my adrenal glands are actually able to output enough cortisol. The issue is that there's not enough free cortisol and there can be various issues which cause this. But it does give you this other lens where you're saying, okay, well, that, that way we look at cortisol you know, and adrenal fatigue, we can't really call that adrenal fatigue, right? And it's not really the right name. So you know, another name which I've heard a bit more now is cortisol dysregulation as a result, right? Or HPA axis, hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal axis, that is. Now, given that I have this issue with the levels of free cortisol, and I don't have an issue with total cortisol. It looks really like I've been under stress for a long time. That's one of the scenarios, and it fits with my story. I've had high inflammation that I've tracked for uh, many years, and that is a stressor in, in fact, and can lead to this situation. So really, it kind of makes you look at it from a different per vantage point. So when you're normally looking at adrenal fatigue, um, many physicians and the, the current perspective is to support that, right? So you can... Uh, have dietary inputs which help to support your adrenal fatigue at certain parts of the day and so on the salt levels and you can also take adaptogens and adrenal uh, extract right these are the kinds of things that we're told to do and that's all good right that, that's all good to do and I do that however it's not the complete story or solution because here really the issue is the high inflammation I have which is constantly stressing uh, the situation and that my free cortisol is never really going to be normal unless we remove that. So it's not just about kind of repairing the adrenal glands. It's, it's really about removing the cause of this situation, which for me personally seems to be inflammation. So if any of you have been diagnosed or have, you know, been considering having adrenal fatigue, I think the Dutch test is pretty cool. It's It's something that gives you a more finesse look at it it's again it's probably not the complete answer we're not quite there yet right a lot of this stuff is still an art but it definitely takes you a lot closer to an answer 
And uh, once we actually know what's going on, it's a lot easier to take action to fix it. So looking at the fast itself versus the baseline, my cortisol levels did drop both for the metabolized, the total cortisol and for the free cortisol. But it wasn't really significant. It wasn't like the testosterone. So I just didn't think that was such a big deal there. And it didn't really support my concern that fasts are overstressing the body. And because of my low free cortisol situation, I shouldn't be doing this. I don't think it really supports that. So I'm quite happy to continue my fasting habit, uh, especially now that we've kind of ascertained that I don't have this shriveled up adrenal situation. Okay, next question. Mental performance. Could I keep up during the fast? Well, I certainly felt productive. I always feel productive. And throughout the 10 days, I felt really, really productive. And I want to get a bit more into the mental state because I think it's a real bonus of doing these longer 10-day fasts is the kind of mental state you get into. I feel like it's worth doing it a few times a year to keep my life in order. I'll get into that in a second. But to track my mental performance, I asked Yoni Donner, who joined us in episode 33. He was the creator of Quantified Mind. So I asked him how I should use Quantified Mind, a basically a panel of tests you can use to assess your mental performance. And he recommended a couple of tests, which took around five minutes each time I, I did both of them, right? One was for working memory and the other was for attention control. One of them you may know uh, because it's relatively well known is the self-paced two-back, which is very is pretty much the same as the N-back tests, right? For working memory, which are working memory, which have become pretty well known for that. So that was, that was pretty simple. And the other one was color word inhibition. And that was about attention control. So it's a very small panel I was doing just of two tests. And I did that twice per day at the same time when I took my blood readings. So I could correlate if there was anything interesting there. Also, nothing really uh, came out of that. Looking at the charts, uh, the issue actually is that the data isn't very usable at the end of it. And, you know, Yoni Donner um, told me that this was something I would have to control for. When you're using a mental performance test, you uh, want to avoid the practice effects. Or when you're using games or anything to measure your output, your ability, then you're going to get better at those games, kind of like you get better at chess or anything you play for a while, right? The 10,000 hours theory and all of that. You do get better at things as you practice them. So obviously, I want to know the difference between fast and normal. I don't want to be seeing this practice effect. I'm not as interested in it. So what I did before, uh, for a few months actually, before the fast, was I was tracking in my normal state when I wasn't fasting by playing these tests. So so I did a battery of these tests every now and again when I was in a normal state, non-fasted. And I was hoping that over time I would be eliminating because I was practicing I would eliminate these practice effects because eventually they uh, disappear or they dissipate. They're not as big and you don't see them coming up too much because there's only a certain extent you can improve in most games. I think you can um, think back to Pac-Man or whatever you used to play as a kid like there's a, or Space Invaders or what are these kind of simplistic games. There's a limitation on how good you get right um, at some level. There's decreasing gains. Unfortunately, you know, when I was doing the fast, it does seem that there's a pretty clear practice effect. You can see that it's, you know, it's, I'm getting better as the fast goes on. And I can't 
say that that's because of the fast, right? Because from one perspective, I could say, well, it's because I'm running on ketones and they're more efficient. You know, there's a few arguments there um, that could say that I'd have better mental performance. That's not something that really looks like it's, it's occurring because I also tracked after the fast and, you know, I continued to maintain those gains that had been gained as the fast went on. So it really does look like a practice effect. The one thing I might say is that it doesn't look like there's any severe deficiency in mental performance from these tests. It's not like you see a drop or at any point. So it looks like I don't have a lot to worry about, but I'd like to continue doing this mental test in a future fast to eliminate this concern completely, right? And to basically get over these practice effects so I can actually see if there's any difference between baseline and the fast. Okay, let's talk a bit about the experience as i said i was a bit anxious about doing 10 days because it seems like a lot and i've done a fair number of these fasts now i've been doing intermittent fasting for years so it's shouldn't be a big deal for me but i have to say i felt anxious about it so if you guys are feeling anxious about a 10-day fast don't worry about it i didn't think you know i didn't really commit to definitely doing the 10 days i was like i'll see how i feel and i'll go for it but as i went into it it got easier it really did get easier and easier as I went through it. I committed to going around doing everything as normal during my life. I was going to London, business meetings, you know, going going around there. I went on a date to an art exhibition. I think it was day eight or day nine of my fast. So, you know, and the girl I met didn't have any idea I was fasting. So, you know, it was, it was really just me living my life and doing everything in normal. I also uh, did some push-ups. So my current one set max of push-ups or push-ups without any break in between is 55 push-ups in one go. And I did that on day two and it was just just as usual. It was no different. Now I did feel the usual. This is a typical, you know, then typically how you feel like the limbs. So the arms and the legs, you feel this kind of slight heaviness or slowness or physical weakness sometimes. And, you know, I'd felt that in previous fasts and it wasn't really any different. And I also felt the slight lack of refined motor control in the arms and the legs. So like sometimes when you're walking, you'll notice a, like a little, a little skip or it just doesn't exactly do what you'd thought it would do. Um, so I noticed little things from time to time, but they seemed over the extent of the fast because I was doing all my usual walks. I walk up a hill um, at, at lunchtime and back down again, and it's a pretty steep hill. And, you know, so I noticed these, these little things, but as the week went on, I noticed them less. So I'm not recommending, I just want to make this point clear, that you go about your life completely normally and do everything you would have done if you weren't fasting. I'm not sure that's a good idea for everyone at all. And I wouldn't want you to do anything where you get hurt, like driving. And I, that's one thing I, I didn't do. I, I wasn't driving because, you know, that's that's potential to hurt other people. So, you know, just be aware, be cautious about fasting. I'm not a doctor, so don't listen to me too much about these things. Um, I'm just trying to test and experiment what works for me. And you know, I suggest if you're starting this out for the first time, this fasting, that you know you do it when, in a week where you've got a, a less intense schedule at least. You probably want to do it in a week where you have a less intense schedule or kind of plan around your first fast if it's your first time. Let's talk about sleep because you'll see if you Google sleeping, um, and fasting that, you know, a lot of people have issues with it. It's interesting because the studies are kind of, I've seen a few studies like talking either way. Some people actually get benefits um, to a certain extent in their sleep. And interestingly, I saw both on different nights. And I also did track higher melatonin, just slightly higher melatonin in, one, in the fasting test. 
However, I would say it was a bit up and down. Now, from day five, I began to get some night wakings. Um, as you know, I, one time I even woke up after a couple of hours of sleep and I couldn't get to sleep uh, for several hours afterwards again. So I used to get these night wakings and I had those on several nights. On the last night on day 10, I had pretty much the best sleep I've had in a long time. It was really long. It was, uh, it was I, you know, I got up and I kind of felt drowsy. You know, when you've had that really deep sleep. And I felt really refreshed in the morning. Um, so, you know, it was a bit sporadic like that. It wasn't like it got steadily worse or anything like that. This is something I definitely want to investigate further. Um, because it's really the one major downside apart from the silly mistake I <laughs> made, which I'm going to tell you about in a second. But it's one major downside, which I've seen a little bit. And this time, because I was in 10 days, it, it was more serious, right? Um, because it really didn't start till f day five. And, you know, and then it really did take away a bit from the experience because I was getting tired during the day because I hadn't slept so good. Okay, here here's a really nice benefit I see from this 10-day fast. It's really, it puts you in this different state of mind, or, you know, at least in my case, this, this is what happened. I've noticed this in the five-day fast to an extent, but it really was magnified uh, during the 10-day fast, and it's, I like, really given me a lot more motivation to be doing this and i feel like it's something that i should do just for um to keep my life in order and keep me going in the right directions so so the way i see this is it kind of lets you look through a different lens uh when you're in this state of mind because i find that it gives me um a state of mind where i'm looking at the longer term rather than the short term i'm more patient and less impatient I'm definitely less ADD and like kind of less driven to a certain extent um, and more pensive, more thoughtful and thinking about things. And this may be to a certain extent, the drop in testosterone, for example, that could be one of the causing factors. I'm not sure why, why this happens. I just think that this is a really good balance to the rest of the, the time. If I'm kind of running around and hustling and working hard, you know, sometimes it doesn't give you time to see the bigger picture all the time, even though you're meditating or whatever. It just you really kind of need to take some some step backs to look look at your life and uh, see things on a different level. And I feel like fasting gives you this different lens and it gives you this different way of looking at your life and your business and you see different things. Um, so I did a lot of journaling, I you know writing uh, during the week and a week, and I did a, a fair amount of reading as well. So it put me in a kind of different state. I felt less social. I mean that's something you you guys might recognize. And as I said, like there was less libido, of course. That's of course part of the social world. So if you're into doing retreats and that kind of thing, where you get to think um, a bit more deeply. I think a 10-day fast is, is a good way to get that kind of experience. You don't even have to go anywhere. You don't have to go to the island and live on the island. You can do it at home and you get a pretty good experience. I've lived on the island thing, so I, so I know what I'm talking about a bit. Let's talk about the post-fast rookie mistake. Now, I say it's rookie mistake is because I've been doing this for a while and I've spoken to a lot of people about fasting and I've had... A recommendation and a piece of advice since the beginning which is to take it really easy when you start to refeed on the post fast and to be careful with what you eat typically people say you should have some vegetable soup or you know something super light and easy to digest now since i started this these experiments with fasting what what i've been using for the post fast refeed is a bone broth 
it's you know it's it's got a fair amount of fats in it and like micronutrients and you know so i started that with the first one i kind of pushed the edge a little bit compared to what people were taking telling me and it was fine i haven't had problems at all with it however on the 10 day fast it's different the bone broth did not work at all i was crunched up in a ball half the night after that refeed it it was awful like the pain it was basically like getting food poisoning um from from hell so you know i think if i think back to some of my worst food poisonings, it was identical and i couldn't really keep any food in me for the next few days it really disrupted me um starting with that you know basically high fat bone broth so it was a big mistake i i didn't have much appetite for the next three days i couldn't keep much inside me and i was trying to eat little things here and there like vegetable soup and so on i was trying to backtrack but it wasn't really working so on day three i was getting really fed up with this and it was continuing and i basically re-strategized and i decided i would eat exclusively eat or drink blended green vegetable smoothies pretty much as soon as i did this everything started to resolve and fix itself so you know, like thinking about this i really think that you know from now on this is what i'm going to be doing for my refeed i'm just going to be having a blended vegetable smoothie because it really did get me fixed within 24 hours i was like getting my appetite back and everything and within 48 hours i was all good so it's really a pretty amazing turnaround uh, i think now yes it could have been that I just done my three days of pain, um, but I don't think so because it, it just seemed to be like going nowhere and I was having real difficulties. So that was really pretty dumb of me because I've had a lot of advice from a lot of people and uh, please don't do that at home. You definitely want to stick to the vegetable smoothie or something like that. One other crazy thing was uh, the back crash I had. Now on a previous fast, I had some slight rashes on my chest, which came up during the fast, just randomly. This time, I had what looked like chicken pox. I mean, I doubt it. Was, I don't think it was chicken pox, um, but it was, you know, a pretty immense rash over my whole back. And I was really surprised. It just, it was pretty shocking. Don't know where that came from. It got steadily worse. And then when I started to refeed, literally... A few days afterwards, it was gone, completely gone again. So that's a bit of a strange thing. So that's just for people at home. Like there, there is strange stuff that happens in fasting that we can't explain. They have to look into some mechanisms uh, for this. I was thinking about uh, the liver and so on, but I started to look at studies and so on. I couldn't find anything really that seemed to lead me to think that this was going on. Of course, you know, one of the things that people say is that there is detoxification going on as you're breaking down the fats, which have stored fat soluble toxins so maybe that was part of it i have no clear explanation for it i'd love to hear people's ideas or you know anything specific and accurate um some studies would be great i'd, I'd love to see those so to the takeaways can i remain productive during a 10-day fast i think overall yes i mean i i actually think it's beneficial to my productivity to do these um, say quarterly for example I think at the end of the year I'll get more out of it I'll get more out of life I'll be going in a better direction and that's kind of through that thinking that mental state I was talking about I think it's a good balance to the rush 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 which is going on all the time um, and so yeah it's like this counterbalance and 
I, I just feel that that's going to be really good for me. Maybe not right for everyone. I'm pretty driven, so it's a good balance for me. Energy levels, you know, they're pretty high throughout. I was working long hours. I actually work more when I'm on a uh, fast. Like I said, I'm reading, writing a lot as well. It's the kind of mental zone I'm in. Uh, testosterone, I think, you know, normally you'd think like lower concentration, focus and drive when you have lower testosterone. That wasn't really what I experienced. Definitely low libido. Um, so, and it made me a, a little less social, I think. However, you know, I wouldn't say that I had less focus, drive and concentration. Not at all. So the second part of the question was, is 10 day fasting every quarter sustainable? And yeah, there's not a problem with weight at all, of course. And uh, psychologically, it was actually a pretty enjoyable experience. So that's going to be cool. And I'm not really worried about my adrenal health when it comes to fasting. I don't really see any downsides uh, in terms of the cortisol and the supposed adrenal fatigue. I I don't think it's going to be maybe not beneficial, but I don't think it's hurting either. So I I think I can kind of put that one to bed. I'll I'll still be testing uh, going forward, especially I'd like to test on a 10 day to see, you know, where my hormones are at on that 10th day. So that's a wrap for this episode. That's what, you know, as I said, this episode, there's like a ton of details on, on the blog. I'll also probably be putting a video up and I recorded that video on the uh, evening just before I refed on my 10th day and you'll see I'm really high energy. <laughs> so, you know, that's how I typically was and, you know, maybe that'll motivate some more of you to do that. And I'd love to hear, you know, from you guys if you're motivated yet to take on this fast i've seen more coverage around the internet about fasting so i think you know it's starting to get a bit of traction um so hopefully this has helped you to figure out you know if it's for you or if you're ready to do it and i definitely start with one of the smaller uh, shorter fast durations first but to to be honest like you shouldn't be scared of the 10-day fast either it's really not scary so I'd love to hear your comments if you have ideas or anything that you would like tested in future fast. I'm doing this monthly. So just head over to thequantifiedbody.net and pick out this episode and leave any of your questions or your ideas in the comments. Love to hear them. Love to keep the discussion going. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to get updates from The Quantified Body, the best way to do that is to go to thequantifiedbody.net forward slash newsletter and pop your email address in there. And uh, we send out all of the show notes, all the details, everything, and some other cool updates. So uh, do that and we'll stay in touch. Speak to you soon in a new episode. To get more of The Quantified Body, subscribe on iTunes or go to the website verquantifiedbody.net. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-N-T-I-F-I-E-D-B-O-D-Y dot N-E-T. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, we are at twitter.com slash quantifiedbody. And on Facebook, we are at facebook.com forward slash quantifiedbodypodcast. If you've got feedback or requests for the show, you can email them to me at damien at thequantifiedbody.net. That's D-A-M-I-E-N at thequantifiedbody.net. Thanks for joining the show this week. See you next time.